Hello, everybody. Welcome to Be a Self-Made Goddess online show. My name is Evrim, Evrim Numanolo Özgen. And in this uh, series of interviews, we will be hearing from amazing people, speakers who are experts in their fields about how to connect with our inner power, create an amazing family life and a career we love. We have a very special guest today, Liz Cook. Welcome, Liz. I'm so glad to see Hi. you here in this interview. Uh, Liz has a very special place in my own healing. I've read, um, I've read your books and I've also done your uh, online audio course, one of the audio courses in 2016. And all of those things, actually, they gave me courage and hope to look even deeper uh, inside me, within me. And that actually started a deeper healing. So thank you so much, Liz. Um, let me introduce Liz uh, briefly before we uh, deep, um, dive into deeper uh, information. Liz is a conceptual uh, artist, an international educator, and the creator of Core Awareness, uh, which focuses on the awareness for developing human potential, which I love. And uh, Liz has been working with SOAS, the core tissue, uh, for 40 years, and uh, she is uh, recognized and accepted as an authority on the core tissue psoas in the fields of uh, somatic and bodywork and fitness professions. And Liz is uh, the author of uh, quite a few books, uh, the um, psoas book, which is here, and Core Awareness, which is my favorite, and I was holding it last uh, yesterday evening, but I can't find it now. Uh, the Core Awareness book, yeah, which is there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I love it. It's my favorite. Uh, and um, also two CDs, uh, Unraveling Scoliosis and The Soas and the Back Pain. Also, uh, Liz is the contributing author and the crone of uh, Maiden, Mother Chrome, our pleasure playlist, which I highly recommend. That is a great book as well. Um, also, it's not we are not done with the books yet. Um, your next book, new book, is coming in May 2019, isn't it? Yes. It's, yes. It's, uh, it's it's great. I really, I really look forward to it. And it is called Stalking Wild Soas: Messages from a Core Intelligence. Even the even the title of the book is so exciting, Liz. Um, so, um, yeah, can you please tell a little bit more about your story, how you, what you do and how you came to doing what you do? Thank you. I'd be happy to, to share this. Yes, I, I think a lot about young women and what they're going through and who I was uh, when I was about 24. And um, I've had a very unusual way of of meandering through my life. Um, I was raised in a family where women were supposed to have husbands and um, marry, and therefore you didn't need a job or a career unless your husband died. And I was told that from a very young age. So um, uh, that was partly brought in from my mother's age, which, which again was that there were only certain jobs a woman could have. She wanted to be a lawyer, but she became a nurse because nurses, women could. So we're looking at a, at a historical shift that happened at my time of growing up of where all of a sudden the potential to be something else was starting to open up. 
Um, and, and so I had that opportunity and yet I didn't have the opportunities that we have today. Mm -hmm. So in thinking about my own life, I was pretty rebellious, I guess is the bottom line. I was a rebellious woman, uh, struggling to see who, who am I? What am I? What is life really about? And so, you know, I lived with my partner for 10 years before we ever married. That was outrageous at that time. You know, there wasn't, I mean, that was just scandalous, you know? I mean, so I, I kind of have always done these scandalous things that now seem kind of, you know, commonplace and normal. Um, the, the main thing I can say is that I, I was pursuing my own self and I was working odd jobs. I didn't know who I was or what I wanted, but I did have a partner who was uh, creative. And, and so um, I think within that, that enjoyment of play and experimentation, I felt very comfortable to do that. And so I had odd jobs, but then I was playing. And I ended up having a show at the Boston Museum School of Fine Arts. The name has changed a little bit, but it was a really fine arts school. Um, and I wasn't an artist. I wasn't educated in art. But I had the opportunity to help organize what was at that time called Flexible Art. And we had this show, and I was invited to teach there. And my work was really conceptual. It was conceptual in the sense, not only my own personal way of thinking, it meant I wanted to know about how do we perceive? How do we, what is our potential as a human being? So creativity has been a huge part of my self-exploration, not as a particular form of art, but as a personal endeavor. And, and the dean at the time saw that, and his interest wasn't that I was a fine artist, but that I was going to shake up what sculpture was in an all-male sculpture department who saw form and function as being wood, cement, concrete, uh, you know, very solid. Here I come in with what was called flexible sculpture, which was experimental, which was all kinds of materials, which was questioning what is form, what is shape. And as I started to do that, I, I felt uh, inspired by Anna Helprin, who is a conceptual artist and dancer, who is 95 now and she's still teaching. Amazing. And she's a mom and uh, she's had an amazing life. And she, her work really inspired me because she was having happenings and um, that were about community and about what dance isn't something that you do on a stage is something you do through your life. Mm -hmm. You dance your life. Yeah. yeah. Life is the game that must be played. Yeah. So this is like, this is kind of where I started from was this play was this rebel who, who was looking to shock people and to find, to kind of break out of that mold. And I didn't know really what that meant for me, but I wasn't, um, uh, and I wasn't necessarily brave in the sense of uh, I had tremendous fear. I think it was my uncomfortability in my own body that also made me strive to, to just stop feeling so bound in my own self. So I have a history of scoliosis, kyphosis, lordosis. I tell people kiddingly, I also probably, you know, psychosis. But, um, you know, I, it's not like, you know, I didn't have a lot of pain and and frustration as a young woman. I think, in fact, that's 
the amazing charm of my life is that I don't have that now. And you're supposed to kind of go in the reverse as you get older. But I, I feel like I've grown out of that. It was almost like I was in a seed pod and I needed to find my way to break open that seed pod and become me. So it was a very natural process. Um, it has no formal education. I have no formal education. You know, I dabbled in college. I dabbled in various things. But, you know, I really was on my own path. So in that sense, my work evolved through movement because movement became more that the physicality of my body became my art form. It became my conceptual work. And I happened to meet a man named Bob Cooley, who is um, an incredible uh, educator uh, today. And, and uh, I met him in his formative years. And he was exploring. He was playing. He was a, from a dance background. And I took a class with him. And he um, introduced me to the psoas. And the psoas is simply a core you know, tissue that has a lot to do for dancers in many ways. They think of engaging it. They think of using it. They think of, but he was exploring what is going on inside that makes a dancer have injuries. What, why do, do we hurt ourselves? Why can, why, if we're, you know, what could, how could we explore this? And he found that it was kind of connected to our feelings of safety, our feelings of uh, connection to ground and, what we kind of think as being grounded or embodied. Those words weren't used at that time, but that's really what he was doing, was how to embody ourselves, how to really show up in time and space as, as the you know, beautiful flower that we are, in the blossoming, the flourishing of who we are, that breaking open the seed and, and really shaping ourselves into who we are. And each of us are so incredibly unique. Mm -hmm. And so he was in that process and I joined him and, and studied with him for about three years. And then I moved out to California and uh, he encouraged me to just, you know, continue what I was doing, gather some people. And so I did. And over time, that's how my work evolved into uh, workshops around the world. And um, it just kept developing. It kept flourishing. And I started writing a lot of articles and, um, and at that time, people didn't know. The only thing they knew about the psoas came out of a tradition of body work that was just starting at the time. Ida Rolf was uh, the, the, the bringing forth the idea of the psoas as a structural element, kind of like the, like the um, sculptors did at the school in a very structured way. We can fix you. It was a fix-it motto. If we can change the structure of your tissue, you can show up in a more functional way in the world. So it's kind of like shoring up a building. You know, if we add more to it, if we engage more, we can show up more. And that has been a, a lineage. Before that moment in time, people didn't do body work. They didn't do, um, they went to a, masse a masseuse to have uh, to be soothed, to be nurtured, to feel good, to be welcomed into hands that received you. It was a. It was all about uh, a sense of con contact and pleasure and relaxation. But with this movement became this idea that we can fix you, which is a very mechanical model of body. Mm -hmm. And so I was up against that work, and I was always adamant that that's not what needed to happen. People didn't need to get fixed. 
they needed to thrive. They needed to blossom. And, and that is the major difference between my work and pretty much most other forms of body work. And that's partly what my new book is about, is this idea that the mechanical model, industrial revolution, has brought forward a language and a belief system and a way of being that doesn't allow us to thrive. And I really believe that nature, uh, we are nature. And when we allow nature to shape us, when we allow these very deep messages, this intuitive message that we feel deep inside of ourselves, if we really turn towards that, it will guide us into whatever it is that you need in your life to thrive, Amazing. to feel nourished. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got into this. I kept following that need to break open that seed pod in that you know, I think the germination period in nature must feel the same way. I know I've watched with my children, you know, a, 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 chick, a, a duck or chicken coming out of its shell and how much work they have to do and how much we're tempted to want to kind of tap on it or help them or break it open. And there's beautiful poetry about that around, you know, a caterpillar becoming the butter. Like you can't force it. Yeah. You can't force it, but you can provide the conditions mm -hmm. which it can then manifest in. Amazing. I love, I love it. I love it that we are part of the nature and nature knows how to progress and flourish. Amazing. Thank and you. women are deeply connected with that because we bring forth life. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is amazing. And when I first came across your work, I was, well, I had knowledge about SOAS because I had studied sports massage therapy for a year. But just like you explained, SOAS was not taught and considered as, you know, as, as, a, as an organ or tissue which, um, which had so much intuition stored or messages stored within it. Uh, so could you briefly um, explain what SOAS is? I mean, not really in anatomically, but you know, for, for those people who don't know anything about SOAS, where is it? And right. you know, just maybe just a few sentences, that would be great if you could. Yeah, I think it's important because it's actually pretty pop popular now in fitness and yoga and Pilates. And so people are hearing it a lot more. Uh, when I began, it, it, it wasn't out there. You know, people would say, what do you do? You know, and they, 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 had no, they had no idea. And I wouldn't have known it except that I met Bob and he introduced me to it. Um, there literally, before I wrote the SOAS book, I could only find two sources and at that time, you had to go to a library. There was no internet. And so, you know, I couldn't find any sources except a medical text on it um, and uh, Ida Roth's work, uh, which I hadn't really read. And a tiny, maybe there was a tiny bit from the 1930s mentioned. In fact, uh, the, the position that's so common, constructive rest, was coined by two somatic educators, Lulu Schweigard and Mabel Todd in the 1930s. So there were... Uh, two women who were working with the SOAS um, at that time and mentioned it, but there, otherwise there was nothing out there. So what your SOAS is, is it's a core tissue that emerges out of your, what's called a midline. So as an organism, we are a spine, 
plant-based organism. We, we embryologically, our cells organize in a field of an axis. We have an axis like the earth, a north and south pole. And our axis, our midline or our center of being is unique to us. No one else has that. Even though you're in your mother's womb, she has her axis, but you have your own axis. So you are very individuated as a human organism. And, um, and so the concept that we emerge out of this axis, that all our little buds of arms and legs and all our organs and everything comes from the center of your being. And the center of being, the psoas emerges, it literally grows out of the center of being. Now, if we talk mechanically, people will say, oh, it inserts into your 12th thoracic vertebrae, which is right where your bottom ribs are. And it, uh, in, and it goes down into your lesser trochanter on the inside of your leg. But nobody inserted your psoas. So we have to recognize it literally grew out of your core, of your spinal core, into expression of your legs. And now that we know about connective tissue, which we didn't know when I was first writing about this. So I was fighting the mechanical model of levers and levers, things that move you like a machine. But now that we know about connective tissue, and you can discover lots about connective tissue online, this is a, a, a perception now because they're looking at cadavers that are fluid. And so now we're seeing how we are a fluid organism rather than a dry cadaver. And so now they're studying this, this incredible web of being. Of, uh, and connective tissue basically creates your form, creates your shape of your being. And so it's the deepest, the psoas is the deepest core tissue of your being. It's uh, embodied in what's called the uh, sympathetic neuro core. And to keep it very simple, that's like, the connective tissues like bags inside of bags inside of bags of fluid tissue and the deepest, deepest part of yourself. So think of a flower. Think of the very center of a flower and how the flower, when it blossoms, comes out of that center and it keeps unraveling and unraveling and unraveling until it's fully the rose or fully the expression of that being. That deepest, deepest, deepest part of you is called your neurocore and it has your spinal cord your psoas, your kidneys, and your adrenals in it. It's a little fluid sack of all that's essence, the essence of your being. And it's from there that you, like a flower, keep unfolding. And you keep unfolding and unfolding and unfolding. So no one needs to fix that very center of your being. No one needs to manipulate you or you, you don't need to be fixed. You need to blossom. Yeah. So we... So my work is about how do we blossom? So the psoas to me, I started calling it the messenger of the midline, that it informs us about what is essential for us, for our center of being. When are we integral? When are we feeling like we're not integral? Where do we self-actualize from? Where to become truly who you are in this lifetime? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it became very powerful as I kept exploring it. And the, the, the exciting piece for me that I want to share is that I discovered this not by reading tons of information, not by intellectually understanding, but by sensory 
explorations. I had a living inquiry. My living inquiry was, who am I? And as I kept going in deeper and deeper into myself to understand who am I? What, well, who am I? Um, I started understanding things somatically, which wasn't a word that was used, kinesthetically. In other words, sensory-wise, I was starting to pick up messages, information about myself, gut instincts, what we could think of as your instinct, okay? And, and as my instincts were starting to be honed, I was trusting them, you know? I have a daughter who just recently said, it just doesn't sit right with me, Mom, about something that's important to her right now. And I said, that's it. That's what yeah. you need to find. That, that's it. You know, like you can get all the information out there that you want that helps inform you. But it's that it doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. That is the yeah. key. That's, that's it. it doesn't sit okay. That's it. It's yeah. as simple as that. It doesn't sit right with you. Therefore, that's where you work from. That's where you explore. Well, what, what would sit right with you? Mm-hmm. What a power. So in that way. Yeah, so that's that's how we work. That's how I work with the psoas, and it's unusual for people to work with that. Later, I would go look for the intellectual information. It was like, well, what was I sensing, or what what am I exploring, or you know? And then other people's writing and information helped inform me, mm-hmm. and so oh, that's what I'm experiencing. Oh, that's what other people are experiencing, mm-hmm. and so it added, but it didn't come from the outside it came from the inside amazing and um, yeah it's a very powerful question who am I and from your work because I've read and listened to you many times uh, you read your books and listened to your podcasts so you actually find a lot about uh, people about who they are right I mean when you do lots of workshops and you provide I'll say healing because this is where healing. I mean, this is how I see it. So you 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 see you read lots of things about those people and who they are in their lives, and uh, this actually brings me to a, another question. Uh, you have worked with so many women um, all around the world. What do you think? Um, what What do you think uh, stops those women um, from connecting? with their inner power? Well, gosh, that's a huge question, isn't it? What stops us? Uh, it, what stops us can be anything from the cultural perspective, the container you're in, the field of energy you're in, in the culture, the belief system of the culture. It can be the belief system of your family and those mm-hmm. closest to you, the familiar, what we call the familiar. It can be uh, your perception of yourself. And yourself comes from the shaping of those other two. So the lack of belief, the lack of belief in yourself comes from not believing you're good enough, you deserve this, it's okay to be who you are. And what I teach people is that the upper part of the psoas, where it emerges, is right around where your diaphragm is. And when you're a little child, and you show up. See, the psoas is very primitive. It's primal. It's not about culture. It's about your animal nature. It's about your literal being mm-hmm. of life on earth. And so it doesn't care what culture it is. It doesn't care if you're standing up and moving forward or you're crawling and slithering along the ground. It's incredibly primal. So language means nothing to it. 
It's informing you of a nonverbal communication with life. So what does a child do who shows up in the world who isn't wanted in the, who isn't wanted, who isn't wanted as they are or who they feel themselves to be? The self-actualization of our being comes from this deep primal sense of needing to blossom, needing to flourish, and also needing safety. And every organism knows, every mammal knows that if it doesn't show up and is recognized by the familiar, by the culture, by the people who are going to feed it and care for it, they know instinctively they will be eaten. They will be left to die. They will, this is primal, primal stuff. So it doesn't matter what you think about it. It matters that you, you instinctively don't feel safe in that environment to be who you are, to self-actualize as you are. It's kind of like a plant, you know, that shows up someplace that the land doesn't provide for it, you know? It's like it withers. We wither. We stay dormant. And we don't blossom. So, so many of us don't blossom because we're, we're, we've, we're in gestation still. We haven't found the right conditions to allow ourselves the blossoming. And one of the interesting things about that is that we actually learn. Um, it was actually Wilhelm Reich's work that taught me this. And then I realized it was the psoas that was part of what he was describing in the 1950s in regard to how do we control our feelings? How do we control the self-actualization? Well, this is who I am. Well, you can see it in any two-year-old. You know, they're just like, I'm blossoming, I'm blossoming, look who I am. You know, I'm getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you know? And we're like, yeah, you are, you know? Or we can squash that in that child and say, no, you're not that, you know? You're gonna be this, you know? So you can see how parenting plays a huge part in self-actualization, you know? And how do we create the boundaries and container for that person to really show up but be safe, you know? and. So one of the things that I learned was that we control our feelings through tightening. Everybody knows that fear response in their gut, higher up, not in the one in the lower gut, but in the one in the higher one, in your upper where your intestines are and your solar plexus is. Well, when somebody doesn't feel safe in their family showing up who they are or in the culture, they start to tighten there because what we understand is that if we decrease blood circulation and breath, we just decrease sensation. And by decreasing sensation, we have more control over ourselves. So I see women who have learned to control themselves, to be nice, to be good, to be what their family needs them to be. We're very kind, you know? Little boys are allowed to do something different, you know? And girls aren't in our culture. And instinctively, we have more of a innate desire to gather and hold and hold space for other people to to gather what we need to survive rather than be combative. So, you know, that's also an instinct, a very mammal instinct to gather. And and in trauma work, it's actually called in women uh, to, to mend and tend that we don't show just fight, flight, and freeze kind of responses when we're 
we we go we go gather do more try harder you know try to be better try to be good try to make it all be okay for everybody else we we do that that's a fear response that's because we can't show up powerful we can't show up as ourselves so we join in and we try to work together which is a wonderful attribute but at the same time can be self-limiting yeah yeah so owning that individual power is yes as being together yeah yeah yes and that's essential that's essential uh and that's about what i play with with the upper psoas because when we hold that tight there where we control that there's a lot of power there there's a lot of so we learn to be powerful by controlling ourselves And so it kind of, we have to dissolve all that. We have to become more vulnerable. We have to let go of trying to fix everybody else. And, and we have to own what is ours, which is our self-actualization. That doesn't mean we discard those other attributes or don't take care of our family or, you know, say, well, somebody else is going to do it. That happens in menopause. But, you know, it doesn't happen when you're a young woman. Uh, so, so, you know, there's that piece that you're looking for is how do we integrate this self-actualization as a mother? Because that seems like a conflict, but it's actually not. It's a way of modeling and it's a way of finding balance. And so I won't go there yet because I know that's one of your, where you want to go, but you know, that's what this summit's about. But Yeah, yeah. This is the segue into that is how do we how do we bring those two into relationship? Yeah. It's not an either or. It's not an either or. Amazing. Yeah, being a woman, a mother and and still you know, owning our desires and our power. That is possible. And that's great. Thank you. And how would healing so us help that happen? owning our power, actually finding our power, which is inside us, and also be all those things, a mother, a wife, a businesswoman, I don't know, a sister, and all those identities. How would healing so us help that happen? Well, I think when we're integral, when we actually somatically, biologically, literally in our bones, know ourselves. It's inhabiting your own body. You can work psychologically, you can work spiritually, but both of those are in the physicality of your being. And it's not about exercising so that you can keep on going. It's about literally feeling something in your bones. The psoas is actually more connected to our skeletal being in terms of bones are really interesting. I'm I'm actually, I'm fascinated with them in mythology and, and uh, in storytelling because we always talk about feeling something deep in our bones. Yes. And we talk about feeling something like I felt it in the marrow of my bones. I felt it resonating in my bones. That's not just a metaphor. That is reality. That is mean you are actually here on earth and you are showing up in you. And the minute you show up, I call it landing and orienting. In other words, when I can land and ground, I can get my orientation. I can get a feel for, okay, this is me. This is what I need. And you, there's you and you have other needs. So there's a differentiation. I can begin to sense myself. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And as I get clarity through movement work and body work and, and sensory work. So I call my work core awareness because I think your ability to kinesthetically, it's called your kinesthetic intelligence. See, our culture is very focused on intellectual intelligence. And some people are focused on emotional intelligence. Say, wouldn't that be good to develop too? A language of emotions. So we can express and our children can verbalize what they're, you can give name to what they're feeling. But we also want kinesthetic intelligence. And kinesthetic intelligence is literally in the flesh and blood of who you are. So we don't have any social you know, ways of thinking about that. But we do have forms of body work, movement work, somatic education, all kinds of things that people can tap into now that didn't exist before that can allow them to go into that uh, intelligence. And the development of your, and we see it in our children because they go through these very movement, sensory, kinesthetic experiences. And if they don't go through that, they don't go through the same psychological experiences of themselves individually. So think of crawling. Crawling is literally a movement away from the source. They crawl off your lap and they're moving away from source. But if you watch a baby, they will stop pause and look back at you. And if you get up and go in another room, they lose all interest in doing what they're doing because now they've lost source. They need to go back and find source. But if you're, you know, sitting on the ground doing a basket, like in a, in a native, you know, indigenous culture where you're pounding mm-hmm. corn or you're, you know, doing something on the earth and, and baby crawls a few feet away, they're just going to crawl back and climb in your lap. The the indigenous cultures had a more um, normalized way of children developing their kinesthetic. We do not. We put them in containers and set them separate from us. And by doing that, we don't develop it. So then we grow up and we don't have any kinesthetic intelligence at all, um, unless you go into the movement arts. So part of it's a cultural problem. It's not a personal problem. It's the way you were raised. It's the way. So, but you can change that. You can decide that you're going to get to know yourself on that, that in the bones way and, and take, a, take a class. And to me, when you do that, you want to work with people who aren't telling you how to move, when to move. They're not cueing you to move. They're creating a safe space and a container where you can actually explore movement similar to what a child is doing. They're just hanging around on the floor, you know, exploring. So it's that play. It's that going back to playing. And play can be movement. It can be creative arts. It can be like exploring yourself so that you can find out who am I in my bones? Oh, this is what I love. Oh, this is what feels good. So we don't need to look outside at all. Everything is us this is this yeah. is what I'm hearing from you so that, that there's so much intelligence and and existence so in our body yes wisdom incredible wisdom yeah. ages millions of years billions of years we know that cells you know DNA we're hearing more and more from the scientific world of communication and we have a wisdom accessible to ourselves I mean connecting with other people is fabulous connecting with people who you are inspired by is fabulous, but never doubt your own, your own wisdom because it's, it's literally embodied 
in the material that the actual elements of who you are. You are the elements of the earth. You know, as a wonderful biologist who says, you know, you are breathing the same air that Jesus and Buddha and, you know, <laughs> Muhammad and, you know, every great, great being has ever breathed. So, you know, in that as a metaphor, say, you know, you understand that you have access to an intuitive wisdom that will guide you if you turn towards that and sense it deeply in your physicality. So I think movement work is, is really important. Literally moving tissue, literally moving, not in a mechanical, not in an industrial, um, it, it's militaristic, a lot of exercises. I'm not saying that there isn't a place for functional movement, but I'm talking about movement that doesn't have a direction or a specific outcome. Yeah. It's, it's the ability, it's just what children do. They roll around. I give people balls and I have them roll around on the floor with them because that's exactly what kids will do. And, and there's no game involved. There's no, you know, winner or loser. It's, it's exploring for exploring sake. So that living inquiry. Yeah, you know, I, it's to a lot of people. So they have to kind of start somewhere and taking a class, you know, in a somatic class, a Feldenkrais class, a, a, you know, any kind of somatic movement class, a continuum movement class, you know, things that my workshops, you know, things that allow you to explore uh, and just, you know, kind of can give you a, a reference for, oh, that's why I'm doing this. Because some people need stronger containers than others. Mm -hmm. Or they feel they feel too scared. They feel too lost. They feel like, why am I doing this? They don't know how to dissolve into uh, into themselves, so to speak, to deconstruct the conditioning. Yeah, we don't have to. We don't have to break through the conditioning that we were raised in. You don't have to get rid of it. You have to dissolve it and use use that as. You begin to use it as kind of like fertilizer. It's like compost, you know, it nourishes you. Your experiences in life become nourishment. They don't become something you have to go find someone to get rid of. It. Yeah, that's beautiful. You integrate it, you assimilate it. Yeah, and it becomes part of you and part of your life and your wisdom. So it is actually accepting ourselves. I love it that we don't have to fight with what we don't like about or what we were told by the culture or parents, but we need, we can accept ourselves as we are and dissolve those things that don't serve us. That's beautiful. And what you're describing is um, a powerful, very powerful ways to be in our bodies. Well, I actually, that my experience was amazing because I, actually, I was laughing when you mentioned that. Um, uh, well, army type of exercises I I love endurance sports and I was a very very ambitious um, person in sports and you know exercises and marathons and all sorts of like box etc but when I did uh, the movements that you described um, you know after I read your books and also I did the uh, audio course and you sent lots of lots of exercises and uh, videos at the beginning it was difficult it was so difficult because, you know, it, it. you just need to be calm. Just, you know, maybe, you know, sometimes it's, it really requires being calm and accepting to be in your body without requiring any results or any crazy effort. 
it is in a way effortless, but it takes some time to get used to that. And and then when it happens, it's actually very peaceful. I mean, I still have a lot to do, but you know, that first phase has gone and I find it very peaceful now. And it's almost like giving permission to myself to rest and just yes. be calm. Yes, that's it. Yeah, because <laughs> you can stop now. I'll you can pause. You know, it's not to say that all those other things are wonderful, but they're all moving outward. And so when you're pausing in whatever you're doing and you actually just, it's turning towards yourself, just like you would want to turn towards your um, your baby, your child, and, and really listen and really be available. That's what you're learning to do for yourself. Yes. Is what do I need right now? And then to really not give the answer, but to listen. And by doing that, no one can do that for you. See, no, there's nobody outside who can do that for you because it takes your, you have to learn to parent yourself. You have to learn to care for yourself, to attend, to create the life that will allow you to flourish. And so you're turning towards, and one of the things I tell people is that at the beginning, we can often flail a lot. It's the sense of like, I'm lost, I'm all over the place, I don't know what. Because what you're facing when you pause or you just stop for a moment is your own fear. And in a biological way, that fear is, is understood as flailing. So if, if the mama uh, orangutan or bear, the baby gets too far from a sense of it, uh, coherency in itself. It's a no, its own, when we're young, our own nervous system is very incoherent. And so what we can do for our children is it's called co-regulation and, and mammals co-regulate, but we've been raised in a culture that believes that if we take our children and put them in separate rooms, they will individuate. No, they don't. They, they, they disassociate, they disconnect from themselves. They either cry themselves to sleep. They, learn to that no one responds to to them and they learn strategies of defense to simply survive. Co-regulation yeah. is an actual mammal function in which we regulate with someone who has a better nervous system than we do, which is the adult yeah. or parent. And that it needs direct physical contact. That means holding children. That's why indigenous countries most cultures held their babies, slept with their babies, have them on their bodies. Not because they didn't, couldn't afford separate rooms, but because they have an intuitive gut response to the need to protect and create a sense of safety. So the mother will see the baby. I've literally seen videos of this where I saw a, a little bear, I think it was, start to flail. And the mother bear comes over and just grabs that and puts her arms around it. Well, what is that mother bear doing? She is grounding that nervous system that is flailing. So when we pause now, we're adult women. We've been in most cultures that don't attend to our co-regulation. We've been separated maybe from the beginning of birth. So we have to start realizing that our birth experiences show up in who we are and how we are capable of handling being on our own or in ourselves. 
and it can be very distressing. And I call that flailing. It can feel distressing when you pause and you face yourself and you feel like you don't know who I, you know, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what's needed here. I don't, that is the youngest part of yourself showing up. And you either can say, okay, I've had enough of this. I don't want to deal with it. I'm going to go, you know, exercise, you know, um, or you can hold that youngest part of yourself and actually begin to ground. And that is an amazing empowerment. Okay. Thank you, Liz. It's, It's really powerful to hear how grounding could happen. Um, could you please give your advice? What do you advise to women who want to take this journey of a grounding and empowerment so that they could make their own choices for their family lives and their careers if they want to? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that for me was really important was to finding my own rhythm. And rhythm to me is a very natural, um, very organic, very connected to the earth. And as a, certainly as a mother, we get in touch with that energy as we become mothers, that we really have to trust something about this process that's very organic. And I, I feel like life is organic, and yet our culture is very mechanistic and has a very speed certainly with the internet and electricity and all the things so to find that balance between what what culture is doing what what the world is doing as people oriented and what the earth is doing is one of the empowerments women can have is by connecting with the earth we are part of the earth we are earth mothers in many ways in the sense of literally we are we hold a new life and we uh, and that new life gestates within us. So, so we can use that wisdom to recognize that there is rhythms to our day, to our week, to our month, to our life. There's times when letting go of something is okay, you know, um, and, and we can say there'll be another time. And there's times when we say, no, this is really the right time. So getting the timing is about rhythm. So one of the simple ways of connecting to rhythm is to create rhythm because lives don't have rhythm anymore. So you have to actually create that. And rhythm is directly connected to our parasympathetic, to the ability to rest, digest, and repair. So grounding is connected to feeling the rhythm literally of the earth. So, you know, when it's dark out, when it's light out, what foods are growing in our community that are part of that season, the seasonal changes. I also think it really helps as a mother to create those rhythms for our children. And so we can take, we can play with that in finding ways where we're not trying to go, 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 because that's exhausting to our adrenals. It's depleting and it takes the grounding, our sense of grounding away. Um, and we lose, lose our connection to earth. So earth is a great support. And I think rhythm, kind of looking at my day, looking at my life and going, well, wow, I, you know, where is my rhythm in this? And, you know, sometimes we dance faster than others. So think of it as a dance, you know, like how do I dance? Where are the pauses? We talked about pauses. 
and how important pausing and connecting in and saying, am I doing too much right now? Am I trying to push this event or this thing? Or am I trying to please everybody? Am I trying to show the world I'm a good mother or I'm, you know, competent, you know, mm-hmm. in whatever I'm doing? Or, or can I slow it down and can I take more thought and more feeling and ground into my own heart and my own gut and listen deeply and then move from there? So it requires connecting again with and our core and yeah. feeling, yeah. <laughs> I suppose, and to know when to pause and rest and just just be present. Yeah, that's right. Because rest is an amazing um, it's an amazing opportunity to replenish. Yeah. So if you think of it as that, like nature, we have to have restorative times. There's in nature. There's times when we lay fallow. That means, you know, the ground isn't, you know, it's it's an invitation for something new to show up. It's also a time to reevaluate. So, you know, gardening is one way we learn about rhythms and walking in nature is another way, you know, getting just in a bathtub or, you know, resting on the ground, you know, putting our bellies to the earth. These kind of things literally ground us. And by doing that, we feel more connected to ourselves and we can live our lives from that place of connection. Because otherwise you can be, you know, you can be on the treadmill forever. There is no way to get off. And, and that's so, what most of us do, yeah. Yes. And and the I could I think one of the other elements of rhythm is that it, it helps you pause to keep asking the question, what do I really value? Because I'm on the other end of, of, you know, I'm not beginning my career. I'm My career is on the other end. And I, I do feel like it's building to my legacy. So I don't see it as, you know, there's there's a beautiful uh, kind of like the rose turns into the, the, um, the, the, uh, uh, the seed. And, and that seed, which is the crone, um, you know, has that certain nourishment. So... So there's a there's a deep nourishment that I can offer in a certain way to other women who are beginning that process. And that's what I hope this conversation is. But I'm also on that time of looking back and menopause is that time. And then as you're getting older, looking back on your life. And that's why I said before, it's kind of interesting to have that thought every once in a while is if I was on my deathbed right now and I was looking back, would, would I feel good about where I, you know, the way I lived my life? It, you, the, that perspective every once in a while can be part of that pause of, wait a minute, am I feeling really good about what's happening with my work, my relationship, my children, you know? And if the basic answer is, yeah, I think I'm doing the best I can. I think this is really a nice, you know, this is, this is, this is hard or this is, you know, there's a lot, but it's okay. Or no, I think there's not enough time here for me, you know, or a time for my relationship to be nurtured. Mm -hmm. It's a slowing down. That's part of what we, it's think of it as a wave, you know, we don't live a wave. We live a fast paced life. So the only way to find wave, wave is a very natural movement. The the ocean has a tide. We have to have a tide. Yeah. And so that's that's that rhythm. That's how you nurture. To me, that was the valuable piece that I started to get 
was that the only person who can, like as an art form, the only person that that is I'm expressing this for is for me in regard to, am I satisfied with the, you know, am I flourishing? Is my life flourishing? And I feel like no time in history has, I mean, or at least in my lifetime, do I see women in more of a, uh, a challenge with that? And I think you're, you know, representing that finding your way, like that, that there is no right answer. It's like each thing you do, you're, you're pausing for a moment to feel into, does that feel good? And then the next pause, and that creates the wave because the wave that dropping down is the pause. And then you go on to life and it has these spikes and these things happen, but the pause, the slowing down. Oh, that's yeah. great. It's, uh, it sounds so simple. Yeah, it is powerful. Something we don't do in our modern lives. We don't yeah. pause and listen to ourselves. And yeah, actually things that you mentioned lying on the grass or you know just putting our belly on the earth and having a having a nice bath so we can do those things simply thank you so much and um you have lots of lots of useful amazing information um on your podcasts uh, and articles and on your website um i've you know i've really benefited a lot from them and most of them touch to all these things that we we covered in this interview um, for those people who want to know more about what you do, what you offer, um, how can they find you? So you can go to my website, Core Awareness, and and it's just coreawareness.com. And you'll find lots of resources. You'll see some videos on how to just play on the floor with a, a simple ball to hydrate and the connective tissue to feel more limber, to feel more nourished. So nourishment is play. Um, the ability to play, we'll say, oh, I don't have time to play. But you know, play can be these moments where in a pause where you know, you're playing with your baby's finger, you're looking into their eyes, or you're, you know, you're it tasting what you're having for dinner, mm -hmm. you know, and, and um, you know, this is the art of living. And I think that's what the summit is about, is like creating your world and your life as, you know, a, an art of living. Awesome. And that's the nuance. It's the nuance. There's no, there's, there's no order that it has to come in. There's a way that you're you're creating play. So I, I would encourage people to you watch some of the videos, to look at some of those things that I have on my website, resources. You asked uh, what kind of gift um, I would like to give to everyone. I'd like to give everyone a $25 a, a discount coupon if you'd like to take a workshop or it can be a remote class with me for the entire year through 2019. Thank you. And uh, I I want to I want to ask about your next book if you know maybe briefly if you could mention that that yeah. well, Cor uh, stalking wild soas came out of this need to stop doing and listen in. And so as I, I developed that work, um, I became very aware that we have this deep, profound intelligence in our own core, in our own ability to trust ourselves. And that has to do with slowing down, uh, not pushing, lightening up a little bit, and just really listening to 
the feelings, the thoughts, the sensations, this connection. So as I've worked individually with people, there's incredible stories that it come out of the very core of our being, things that we've held or, or it's not something to get rid of. It's, it's literally what is helping shape us. And so I wanted to write a book. It's North Atlantic Books is the publisher. It'll be out in May uh, 2019. That is about these, um, the belief that you have this deep intelligence within you. Mm-hmm. you know, we often think of it as outside of ourselves, but it's active accessible within ourselves. And so it's called messages from a core intelligence, your bio intelligent. So you intuitively know things that you don't quite know how you know them, but you just know them. They're called your gut instincts and your, you know, heartfelt feeling. And when you listen to that, you'll find the options, the creativity, you'll be inspired, you'll come up with new ways of thinking about doing stuff, and that's innovation. And I think we have a very strong need as a, as a being to not only survive and to get through it and to you know, make something happen in our lives, but to innovate, to be creative. And so my real interest is in creativity. How, how do we find this creative way of you know, juggling all these things? How does it become fun? How does it become a play, a playful gesture? You know, rather than hard work. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we need creativity to actually see our choices and most of the time create our choices ourselves without really accepting it from someone else or from the society. Great. And now's a perfect time to do that because we need new ideas. We need new innovative ways of being. You know, the old model isn't working anymore. Yeah. Uh, and and so this is a great opportunity for women to step forward in themselves, to really embody themselves, to allow that creativity to show up in their, their lives. And not to mention that rest, deep dreaming, is part of that creativity. So it's not just about the doing piece. It's about dreaming your, your creativity is, you know, that, that ability to to really deeply rest in yourself. And that can happen, you know, with a baby on your chest, you know, it could be as simply as taking a nap when your baby naps. Yes. Yeah, great. Thank you, Liz. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you would like to add to our interview? No, just thank you for inviting me. It's been fun to talk with you. And I look forward to connecting with people who have joined the summit. Great, great. Thanks for your time. And thank you, everybody, for joining us in this interview. And I will see you in the next interview. Bye now. Bye.